Ah, persnickety. Sounds like there's a ghost in here. You guys, you guys hear that ghost? I gotta find out once and for all. I'm gonna pull out this Ghost Vision Viewer app that I got on iTunes that Andrew Main made. You know, it's got a radar that maps out points in space, tells you of a highly improbable and potentially paranormal events taking place, an imager, a word generator, a PK detector, an arrow, and a yes or no. Yeah, that way ghosts can tell me yes or no. Give me advice on my life. You know, there's no credible evidence that the paranormal has ever existed. But you can be the first. You'll be armed to the teeth with the Andrew Main Ghost Vision Viewer. Find it on the iTunes store or go to andrewmain.com slash ghostvision to see a demo. Bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Weird Things podcast, starring Mr. Brian Brushwood. Hello, America. Mr. Justin Robert Young. Hello, boys. And myself, Mr. Andrew Main. I'm going to give myself the Mr. in front of my name. Even though you didn't earn it. I am it. actually doing my end of the podcast on the West Coast in Santa Monica, not too far away from the recent strange aerial sightings of some strange craft that may have been a sea-launched missile maybe an aircraft or what have you. And I have a little story I'll tell you later on about that. But uh, that's why I sound a little bit funnier, more funny than usual, because things sound funny on the West Coast. You do sound a little bit warbly, like you're about to sell us Geritol or oatmeal or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you've been out on the left coast for too long, Andrew. It's starting to corrupt you. Hey, I'm open to that corruption, all right? Yeah. So a week ago... I was with a friend, and we're out walking along the uh, overlook where you could see the ocean. And we see a strange light that the best thing we could say out over the ocean, way out there, a little bit hazy. If I were to say it looked like it was hovering, that would be an accurate description to say this light looked like it was hovering. It wasn't moving left or to the right, and it was out there hovering kind of bright, and way out over the ocean, though, too far, it would appear to have been a helicopter. Okay. So we stop, and we're looking at this light. And I'm with, with Mary Jarris was the beginning. I go, Mary, you know, what is? You know, what do you think that is? She's like, I don't know. What is it? I'm like, I don't know either. Maybe. And I'm thinking, maybe a helicopter. We're looking at this thing. We stop. We watch for, like, minutes go by. And this thing is still just hovering there. And I'm like, all right. I pull out my iPhone. I open up my little app for my astronomy app. And okay. pull up the uh, uh, stars. And I look, you're fully and I expecting see that, like, it's going to turn out to be. Venus yeah. are supposed to be in the same area of the sky, near that area of the sky. And I'm like, oh, it's, I guess it's Jupiter. It's just looking really, really bright. It's like okay. Then it, then it moved. It looked like it got bigger. Like all right. So, so maybe this isn't Jupiter. And I, I felt real smart because I thought it was, and then it turned out that it wasn't. And we're sitting there watching it, and. Any theories, guys? As far as what it was? Yeah. My theory right now is that any movement that you saw was the clouds moving or your your frame of reference shifting and that it getting larger was in a, an optical illusion. That's that's my guess. 
All right, Justin. I think that it was probably, I don't know, maybe an aircraft carrier or you know, something out there in the ocean. It was in the sky, and that's not a bad, you know, sometimes people look out on the horizon. It can be hard to tell, and you can get, you know, lens, you know, you can think, you know, things could blend. I'd have Mary describe it, but she's she's in Minnesota right now, executive producing the Kendra show. So she's yeah. in, you know, <laughs> neck high snow. So <laughs> she's snow chronicling Hank Baskets every move in Eden Prairie, uh, Minnesota. But it was so we were talking about it there, and like I'm the guy, like you guys, like I'm a skeptic, and I like to have the answer. And I was so proud of myself, like, ah, it's it's Jupiter. And then it got really bright. And I'm like, all right, so it's not Jupiter. And my helicopter theory didn't make any sense because it's so far out there. And it was a moment of just genuine, I did not know what it was. I was fascinated by this. And it wasn't fortunately, the space station, was it? Because sometimes you'll hit it just right and you'll be able to see it. What's that? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. So she was patient enough to indulge my curiosity. So we stayed there and we waited for like another five minutes. <laughs> I was going to say, okay. this is the smash cut to three days later. You're both in yeah. the same clothes as Andrew feverishly paces up and down the boardwalk. He's got like a notepad. He's tearing off pages. (laughs) It's like, well, it can't be that. We just proved that. He has like this inner monologue that spills over into conversation with random passersby. Like, I thought it was a star, but it wasn't a star. What? I I can't imagine. Is it a submarine? Do submarines float? Have you ever seen a floating submarine, sir? Sir, where are you going? It turns out this is how homeless people are minted. They turn off. They start off as normal, upright citizens, and then they see something that explodes their brains. Then I'm on the third street promenade, sleeping in the chair, panhandling for change. Yeah, but totally possible. Totally we never possible. did find out what it was. Dollar, please. Dollar, please. Submarine in the oh, sky. I, I did find out what it was. Okay. Thank God. So we waited. It got brighter and brighter and brighter. And finally, we realized what this was. It was an airplane coming in far off from Asia, probably, across the ocean, and heading on a route straight towards Santa Monica before it changed its route a few minutes out to LAX. Huh. So my it was first just... guess when you were describing what was happening was a fireball that would eventually kill us all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you're going sorry, sorry. So so diverting to LAX. But that's so crazy. I guess you never think of it like that. I mean, you you've been out to Santa Monica a lot. Uh, Mary uh, lives out there when she's not Kendraing uh, all over the place. Where, uh, I mean, she ever seen anything like that before, or was that rare? Well, you see aircraft, you know, from Santa Monica, which is uh, the Santa Monica Pier, and that that was part of you, which is like probably one of the most uh, prominent things you'll see in film and TV. You know, I watched like you, you'll see that in a South Park episode. You'll see that in a you know cop show. You'll see that all the time from that area. From that's where we were. You see aircraft coming in all the time into LAX, but at a kind of at an angle. Yeah, and you can clearly see their flight paths. But this was this was a plane just coming straight over the Pacific Ocean from Hawaii or what have you. And its route just took it. So you watch this thing. You know, we watched this thing for 10, 15 minutes just coming straight at you. Well, and, and even because as of the it gets lights, closer, because of the fog, it was it just looked like it was hovering in one place. Even and, as it gets closer, it's amazing because if you look at a plane head on, it almost looks like that stereotypical floating flying saucer image that you see with lights flying straight at you and and because it's coming at you it just looks like it's hovering there or especially like around uh, this was close to sundown right this was no this was after this was after but i know what you're i know exactly what you're talking about where you get that 
you can almost sometimes you get the the fuselage and the wing will create what looks like a curve. Right, exactly. The wing, it, you see the wings all the way across, and you see the bulge in the middle, and it ends up looking like that prototypical floating so, flying saucer. So jump cut a few days later, and weirdthings.com, our new site in the news around the world, was talking about this mysterious calm trail seen off the shore of L.A. Yes. Was it on the same day? Referred to by the CBS uh, L.A. copter that that captured the the calm trail as a mystery missile. That's how it was initially referred to as, that it was – a, a missile launch that uh, the, the Pentagon soon after, about, about 10 or 12 hours after, officially ruled out that it was any kind of missile. But there were all sorts of conspiracy theories, which we actually covered in depth both on both on weirdthings.com and on our uh, YouTube series, Weird Things TV, uh, including that it was a missile launched from below board of the USS Ronald Reagan because it was it looked like a, a, a smaller size than the... Than the uh, the actual missiles that they have up on top, so it would have to be hidden and concealed. Uh, one, uh, a former U.S. Secretary of Defense uh, actually hypothesized that it could be a intercontinental ballistic missile that was launched as kind of a, uh, you know, hey, by the way, we're still the big dog while Obama was on foreign diplomacy. That was actually something that was repeated by a former, you know, head of military. Wow. Yeah. So... It's it was sort of fun for me to go wow okay so I'm not a complete moron and uh, you know I I I told Mary like a couple of days later uh, you know because the the contrail thing which we think was pretty much was an airplane I'm like yeah you know what kind of idiots look off the coast and think they see a UFO <laughs> and then there you are like, and yeah I know I know but it was I mean it was like I, you know it was a fun mystery I mean obviously because I wasn't totally convinced that it was going to be. Uh, you know, somebody forced me to go see a screen in a skyline or something, and that was going to walk out there and have that be real. Yeah, something that that uh, you know we and and you know in terms of the coverage of the site and the YouTube series, we kind of missed. But I want to bring up here because we talked about it a little bit was that it, it kind of reminded me on some level of the the Chinese UFO that we talked mm-hmm. about, uh, where where the thing seemed to kind of hit a a seed uh, a speed burst or a sonic boom of some kind. That Brian, you were initially skeptical of, but upon watching the video, thought yes. that it wasn't just a a contrail. It was something that was. No, it was definitely. And it's funny how you can use words to describe something that creates a fantastical image that sounds like, well, I don't believe that. And then the moment you see the actual thing, you're like, okay, this fits in my worldview, and I believe this could exist the way you see it here. Wait, one of the things that uh, I think we have an item that's going to be going up is the military <laughs> finally figured out with they have a. Uh, uh, next generation propulsion system that they're they when they went to go test a missile with that uh, like two years ago they had a problem they finally figured out what it was but this is a system that goes Mach fifteen what Jesus okay or excuse me Mach twenty Mach twenty <laughs> oh I'm sorry did I blow your mind let me stop yeah. it on the curb now <laughs> I was like that was like infomercial style like would you like this missile to go Mach fifteen yeah well too bad oh. it doesn't it goes too Mach bad. twenty because ah! well, I I had to do the math and figure I'm like how fast is Mach twenty that's fifteen thousand miles an hour wow <laughs> good lord. So the idea is you can press a button, and considering that the Earth is 22,000 miles around, which means any point is 
under 11,000 miles away from you that in within an hour death 40 reigns minutes, upon you what's that anywhere on earth within an hour death reigns upon you and plus you got to realize it's going to take the shorter direction it's not going to go all the way around the world well that's just 11,000 miles yeah yeah that's amazing so, so half an hour yeah 40 minutes so think about that i mean and if any of you have ever married or dated a woman you can't get out of the house that fast <laughs> Well, you know, it, it doesn't it kind of make you think that if there were ever a world war kind of scenario now, how when screwed there. we all are, you know, just that like, this is what we're coming up with in, in peacetime. Like if, we're, if our backs were really against the wall, like there's no way I mean, it's going to be salted earth by the end of it. We're all going to be gone. We're going to kill each other so quick. It's going to be awesome. We had that great quote. Well, there is the argument that part of what we're trying to do here is very, very precise strategic stuff and not massive destruction. There was the uh, article we had today talking about the, uh, was it today or a couple of days ago about the military trying to develop their super powered beam weapon. Yes. Yes. And the, the uh, particle accelerator, proton pack beam, blah, blah, blah. And the great quote you have, uh, actually, I think it was Ryan had this, and he had it from the rear admiral, and then I think he's had him the, the read admiral. But anyhow, the rear admiral made a comment about this, which I'm going to pull this up right now on our site, which was pretty funny. I mean, I thought it was funny. I was amused. We also had the obligatory smoking chimp article. Mm -hmm. And here we go. And pulling it up, pulling it up. He writes... Uh, so the Navy's making breakthroughs on directed energy, not to be outdone by the Air Force and its mind warfare research. The Navy is pouring money into directed energy weapons. It is making breakthroughs with a free electron laser, which will melt incoming projectiles with 100 kilowatts of energy in the electronic magnetic railgun that can fire a bullet into space at Mach 7. Mach 15 for our missiles now. The scope and vision of the Navy research was perhaps best summarized by Rear Admiral Nevin Carr, who said, we all, of course, want the multi-milliwatt, megawatt death ray. Of course hmm? we do. I think we all, I think we're all on the same page here. That's what we want, isn't it? <laughs> do me a favor, gang. Raise your hand if you don't want the mega kilowatt death ray. Oh, I didn't think so. I, I, you know, if our, if our admirals of the Navy aren't trying to find that multi-megawatt death ray, then they shouldn't be admirals. God, that is such an awesome, just even conceptual weapon. Right? The death ray. Just the oh, yeah. one beam of light that eviscerates what's in front of it. That's amazing. The free, it's like the free electron laser, which it's not enough that it's a laser. It's this free electron, which I don't know what that means. Yeah, but it sounds like way cheaper than the regular electrons. And we want to save money <laughs> now that we bought a death ray. Yeah. All the death you could want. Some men are willing to just let life's mysteries pass them by. Ryan Crutchfield is not that man. The new writer for WeirdThings.com and his passion overflows into every syllable that he puts down on that screen for your eyes to feast upon. Nom, nom, nom. The eyes eat information as your brain sings in delight. Thanks to Ryan Crutchfield. Follow him on Twitter, RC. 6750, that is RC6750. Crutchfield, yeah!
All right. Brian? Andrew? Have you been watching this uh, show called The Walking Dead? I'm sorry, The Walking what? Walking Dead. The Walking it's about, Dead. It's about extremely yeah. sleepy people who are dead on their feet, I assume? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I think that, that could describe it. <laughs> That's one metaphor that we'll, we'll apply here. No, dude, I love The Walking Dead. And I, if in fact, longtime listeners of the show... Well, remember, that was one of my first picks for our book club was The Walking Dead. Indeed, indeed. The show has been a runaway success on AMC. It's Big smash doing, hit. Yeah, absolutely. Doing great numbers. It's a good show. I haven't watched episode three yet. I plan to watch that. I've been away from my DVR, but I'll, I'll make do with that. And it's uh, got people thinking about zombies in a more serious light. I think that we were kind of the vanguard in that, in my own mind, of, of saying, hey, folks, you need to really consider these things in a really grown-up level, and that's why we do this serious podcast. We were zombies before zombies were Hollywood. And it's like, exactly. now, now no, we I, run I really, into zombies. I do feel like we, we were kind of, uh, you know, we, we set up camp in, in Camp Zombie before everybody else started moving in like Woodstock. You know what's disappointing is now, like the other day I was walking, I was at a, I was at a bar, and across the room I saw a zombie, and he was, wearing, <laughs> he was wearing sunglasses, and he just acted like he didn't. He just shambled right on by. And I was like, you don't remember when we were, all right. <laughs> Now he only eats vegans. Well, yeah, well, exactly, because it's like that's his version of being, you know, environmentally friendly. It's like, come on, you're a zombie. But he wasn't even, exactly. wouldn't even hear it. He was out. He does zero carbon footprint cannibalism. Uh, no, in, in all seriousness, I mean, if you have not watched The Walking Dead, and and shame on you for six months if you have not. It is the number one. <laughs> six month curse on you. Exactly. It is the uh, number one scripted show on cable. Last Sunday, it was the most watched show on cable, full stop. And I'll tell you what, I could not be happier for a show that takes more artistic, uh, artistic risks, you know, that, that really is unashamed to, uh, to dial up the violence and brutality while not sacrificing I would uh, kill. fantastically written characters. I would kill to be in the production meeting where somebody said, well, we're already taking a bit of a risk and that we have the walking dead, the end of society, the downfall, wholesale slaughter and murder of the innocents. You know what I'd like to add, if it's okay? A racist who uses yeah. blatantly <laughs> racist language in the show. Can we just throw that in there? I didn't pick up the racism. <laughs> no, very, very subtle. Michael Rooker, who is our guest on NSFW uh, this week, he uh, and and that one was a couple of weeks ago as well. Your was, oh, my, my 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 stepdad, my new stepdad, and please listen to the podcast to to get that full uh, that full joke. But uh, he plays Merle Dixon, who is you know I'll tell you what when you begin a series, when when the first scene in your pilot is your main character. Uh, taking the actions that need to be taken on a zombified, you know, three Child. or four year old girl. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that pretty much all bets are off in terms of content. Well, here's the question then. So, Bri, just, we'll start with Justin. Cause usually okay. we give the zombie plague starts. Yes. You go over to your mom's house. Okay. And your mom's infected. All right. All right. Okay. Do you, A, just lock the door and leave? <laughs> B, couple taps to the head with a gun? All right. C, 
contain her, take care of her, hope for that miracle cure, or D, something I haven't thought of. D, finally, I've got D. D is you lock her in the room and make her watch every podcast you've ever done. And say, do you have time now, Mom? Do you have time now? Mother, mother, do you have time for my artistic indulgements? Um, well, I guess the question is, uh, how far along in the zombie apocalypse are we? And has communication totally broken down? Because I think my, my willingness to hold out for a cure, which, of course, uh, all of my instincts in terms of understanding what a zombie apocalypse is says that there there is no cure. I mean, do you guys remember any kind of zombie fiction on any level where cures played a part? I mean, the only thing I remember in terms of popular culture is I Am Legend, the movie, yeah. not not the uh, and then the most recent movie. You know, not, I, not I never have yeah, I, the and book and then the Omega Man and then yeah, okay. okay. Like, but I've seen I've seen cures for vampirism. There have been ones like uh, Daywalkers recently had a, yeah. a cure scenario for. But I don't think I've ever seen like we just we just and then likewise, twenty eight days later had a different take where they weren't really zombies; they were living humans infected with the rage virus. And I would imagine you could have a cure to that. Well, Walking Dead does the same thing too, right? No, so- Walking Dead. They say. They're dead, and then they come back as zombies. Right. And, and yes. spoiler alert, if you haven't read the comic book, the big twist, of course, is that anyone who dies comes back as a zombie. Um, which, and, and who knows, who knows what they'll do with that in the series. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, my first instinct would be, you know, this is just a lost cause. And, and if, if society has totally crumbled and we are at a point where there is no communication, there is no radio, there is no television, there is no internet, then, you know, I, I think I just got to, you know, it is, it is right now, my, my, the, the mother that raised me and, and, and took care of me would want me to live as long as possible. And if she is actively trying to murder me and bring down society, then I, I have to... I, I I have to take care of her. I, I I gotta I gotta I gotta remove the head or destroy the brain in, in the uh, parlance of Shaun of the Dead. Even if you could just lock her in the house. I you know I, I don't know if I want the con I, I don't know if I want on my conscience the fact that I could have ended the threat and she murdered my mother. <laughs> yeah, I I'm shocked, dude. Are you kidding me? There's no way I could put a bullet in my mom's head. I'm going to keep her locked so up. That, so you are going to have that? The, the blood's going to be on your hands if somebody else comes scavenging into your house and, and your mom, uh, you know, busts yes. out the door and yes. kills them? Yes, Trade. because that person She's was dumb leader. to try to get into my mom's house and steal her stuff, and I'm not killing them. My Society's mom is killing broken down. Maybe they're looking for shelter. They're trying to escape other zombies, and they, and they think, wow, this is a very, very well-kept house with a gate in front and lockable yeah. doors. Spray paint a warning. Yeah. You know what? I will. I'll put. What I'll if put, it's dark? Are you saying that the the, the the zombie apocalypse will be well illuminated? Oh God! Yeah. Well, if I'm gonna, if I, if you chain the house from the outside, okay. If you chain it up from the outside and you put, hey, listen, zombies inside. What else can you do, man? It's a crazy world. What? What should I also run out and mark every tree that I suspect a zombie leaned up against? I'm saying that your family in a zombie apocalypse is humanity. You are saving humans. That is your allegiance. 
Not well, Brian, anything else just, that's there before. This is this is your mom. So I know. Well, she no, she's and, and again, if there is any hope that now, you know, there here's is, the rule. Here's the rule. Here's the rule. You are obligated to kill zombies. You are not obligated to kill any one particular zombie unless that one is attacking you. I assume she's so she's just doddering around. She's yeah. not necessarily attacking me, Andrew. No, she yeah, she's just in the house. You show up to the house, she can't figure out how to open up the door. And was like, ah, brain, you know, and you're like, oh. This is not an immediate threat you type slam scenario. Slam that door shut. What do you do? I I can't I can't leave her like that. I can't. So what does that mean? I got I got I got to destroy her. I got to kill my mom. And you want me to say it? I'll say it. I need to kill my mom by any means necessary. Zombie mom is gone, and I think I I. I I have, I will made my peace knowing that I could have saved somebody else's life. All right. So Brian, with your family, you're going to contain and protect. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so, yes. Do we need to have like some sort of card we carry around with us in the event of a zombie plague and list the different scenarios? If it's we're dead and come back alive as zombies, please kill. If we're infected with a rage virus, but containable, then contain and treat. As I understand it, in most principalities, you can just write that on the back of your license. And if they're able to get their <laughs> license, then they'll read that. Yes. I think we need to move it. I think our listeners out there, I think we need to come up with, in case of zombie apocalypse, what to do. Yeah, we, we, I think we definitely forehead. need weird things ID cards. Yeah. We, need, we, need, we need zombie... Uh, a last rites or or last last zombification will and testament. And yeah, what's that called in medicine where you have that? As far as like you do not resuscitate. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure there's there's. I can't remember. Do not dezombify. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody listening to this knows that term. Oh, they're yelling at their iPod right now. <laughs> they're yelling. At Idiots! Shut up! It's the Blurglerberg. Um. All right, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that we, we 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 do we do need that. But hold on, wait a minute. So, wait, Brian, you contain your your family. All right, let's say a member of your family right. is is on a fight. So you're hanging out around there the entire time. No, what's the point of containing them unless you're gonna be there to make sure that they're cured? I think the point is that I lack the initiative. I don't want the baggage of of look. Society's already gone to crap. I don't have any things anymore. All I have is my memories and my ability no to survive. He just right. gets in front of his computer and no power, and he just starts doing... And I start crying, and as I'm weeping no there, realizing you know, he that... He certainly doesn't have frame rate, co-starring Tom Merritt, which just debuted <laughs> on the Twit Network. Right, Please and it's no, longer, it's no longer one of the new and notable podcasts on iTunes, because there is no iTunes, right? No. So I can't walk up to a zombie and say, please subscribe to Frame Rate with me and Tom Merritt, available now on iTunes, where we review movies, television, and viral videos. So I've got nothing. All I have is my memories. The, the, I'll tell you what, the good news is that now all four Beatles are back. <laughs> Well, I, I can just see Brian driving cross country, gathering all of his different podcast co-hosts who are now zombie <laughs> chained in the back of the truck, and then just setting up a podcast studio. Like, what do you think of that, Justin? And you're like, Argh. I'll tell you what, zombie Tom Merritt would still move ahead the topics effortlessly. <laughs> yes, I feel like he would even, have these... even as a zombie, Tom Merritt would be like, Brr, moving on, Verizon, Brr. <laughs> 
<laughs> he would. He would have these perfect segues. And I would be like, that was a good segue, Zombie Tom Merritt. He goes, never point out the segue. It ruins it. <laughs> And like and like the YouTube clips would just be all things Brian shot in his backyard thirty minutes before on a flip camera. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but the point is, is all I have is my memories at that point, and in my memories, I do not want to have in that great index me killing my mom. I want that when I when I try to access the memory of me killing my mom, I want to have this memory of me instead locking her up safely to where she can't hurt anyone. I don't want that baggage in my head. I killed my mom again. I, I what about, feel, what I about feel Bonnie? Like that's that's even more psychically painful. To, what to about just, Bonnie? Uh, oh no, I definitely could not put a bullet in my wife's head. No. All right. So what if she uh, ate one of your kids? Oh, I hate you so much, Justin Robert Young. <laughs> I think that would bring it home. If my wife were to actually eat one of my children in front of me, it would make very real and, to and me. Tur- and turned one of your kid into a zombie as well so now you have one oh one human kid and a zombie wife and a zombie kid do you let him go after the the the, the second one no you uh you know what I, I still have one li- it, as long as i have a living kid my priority is to gtfo and just just get away and whatever that's my that's my priority so you just leave them you don't you don't tap them in the head you just sort of like them later I not not if it's the kind of thing where I have to go back and especially not in front of my other kid. You know? It's like I don't want them to see. I oh, okay, I'm sorry. So so she watched her uh, sister get eaten by her mother and then come back from the dead. But oh no, putting them down, I'm sure that's that's psychically scarring. No, that's too much. I I think adding two more what would be perceived by a child to be murders would be more scarring. Pretty sure it's not the more the merrier when it comes to watching murders of adults you love. No, it's about about survival. Yeah, yeah. preserving the human race. This is a smash cut to Justin in front of my six-year-old crying, explaining why he did it and why he thinks it's better that she watched him do it. (laughs) You can tell her cover your eyes. Yeah, she just just, for her it's off-screen, like Steven Spielberg violence. So Brian, yes, let's say they come up with a cure, not a cure, but a preventative medication a vaccine that's the word they come up with a vaccine <laughs> so now you can get bit by zombies all you want you're not going to become a zombie oh so you're saying i get vaccinated up and i go back for one more sweet sweet encounter with my wife do you no she's a corpse on <laughs> legs are you high this is ridiculous <laughs> what just there, there's there's still something there. You're There's like, still something. You can have violent, yeah. non-consensual. No, by, by, by the way, in this in this scenario, she's not like totally rotted out or anything. I know. It, I know. She just kind of okay. looks like she's really sick. Allow me to rephrase the pitch as I hear it, Brian. I am offering you the chance to have violent, non-consensual, necrophilic sex with a shell of what was your wife, who's only partially decayed. The kicker. Having sex with her will not turn you into a zombie. Are you in? Are you in? No. You think it sounds so grim when you repeat it. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, Brian. <laughs> Sorry. What if a, a scientist or somebody masquerading as one says, well, Brian, we think what could happen is that if you impregnate oh my God. a female zombie, 
<laughs> I thought I thought the of this, and I thought there's no way he's gonna go. There's the human no way. System. I thought there's no way he's going to write this in. <laughs> so you're saying you, you thought it's only a theory. But it's only a theory, but we Brian, need somebody to try it. Okay. Brian was led down to the basement, and he's like, oh, my God, at least we're in the basement of this house of horrors. And then you look down, and you're like, wait a minute. Is this a root cellar? <laughs> and then he's led down even further into the mole okay. people catacombs so just, where he sits now to ponder his latest uh, question. So, so just to just to wrap my mind around this, what you're saying is at this point, I'm I'm vaccinated against the virus. Yes. I have one surviving child, and there's a chance that impregnating the decaying corpse of my zombified wife could cause her rage virus afflicted, Brian. Let's rage not be virus. Gross. Okay. So she's like gonna be all like cat scratching and clawing and will she say like dirty things at me? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah dirty things like brains. <laughs> brains. <laughs> If it, has, if it has a chance to bring her back, then I'm going to go for it. All right, here's the catch. It's not a scientist telling you. It's, <laughs> it's me and Justin. <laughs> in which case, I put a bullet in both of your brains, and I'm done with this whole stupid issue. I'm out. <laughs> Death. It encircles us all like carrion vultures, waiting for the perfect moment to strike and take the very breath we hold in our chests away from us for the last time. So you might as well enjoy some good music. Go to binarydecay.libsyn.com. That is binarydecay.libsyn.com. Dude, uh, Weird Things listener who's a DJ, you know, rocks your face off. You know, every time he puts out an episode, Kirk Shaw is his name. Binarydecay.libson.com. Stave off the inevitable hand of death while rocking. Rocking it right to hell. And then back from hell. And you can say, hey, look, I've rocked hell. Wasn't so great. Kirk Shaw! If you uh, follow some of the stuff we cover on Weird Things, you know that we love crazy, weird science in all its forms. And it would appear, and I say appear, but it does appear that things are accelerating. Just today was news that scientists have been able to contain antimatter, antimatter hydrogen, for longer than we thought we could do it before. They actually were able to create 38 anti-hydrogen atoms and preserve them for more than one tenth of a second, which that's may not huge. sound like a lot. That's for coming from where we were before. No, that's, that's kind of a big deal. That's gigantic deal. Yeah. A tenth of a second is we could each one of us could measure a tenth of a second and could go, In oh fact, yeah. Got I it. know for sure from my Casio wristwatch, I could tap a button twice fast enough to be under a tenth of a second. Like did it like that. So now that we've, we've passed, this is a pretty big mark here, which our ability to do that, we're understanding more and more how these things can be contained. We're getting to the point where we can start to do experiments. The idea in the not too distant future, we could actually produce this or contain it long enough to use it as a fuel source. And the, the reason why antimatter is an attractive fuel source is 
it's one thing to have a large amount of energy to have, let's say, a nuclear reactor or, or some other power source that provides you a tremendous amount of energy. It's another thing to take a bunch of take energy and to be able to contain it and travel with it in a very, very small package. So that's one of the promises of antimatter is the idea that just a small amount of antimatter can provide you a tremendous amount of energy if you want to travel large distances across space. Right. For space travel, you can't beat antimatter. It's the most efficient energy possible. That we know of for sure, for and we, sure. And we we're getting spend closer. a tremendous amount of our energy. Half the energy is just lugging. Look at this space shuttle. How ridiculous. They have to burn so much fuel to take that much fuel to shoot you up into space. For sure. We had a, another interesting article came out about a new idea on how to cloak using, you know, cloak space time using metamaterials to apparently allow you to travel in front of somebody without them knowing you were there by allowing, having the, changing the way a light wave gets passed through and slowing down part of it and letting it speed up, which you'd have to build a tunnel the size of the earth to take advantage of that effect. But that's kind of a cool, crazy thing. There's another thing uh, we're going to have CERN is going to have another big project, which may be able to detect if there are other dimensions to prove that there are other dimensions next year. How would you prove so, like capital P prove that there are other dimensions? Because right now all we have is math. Like that's what fixes the equations. Well, the idea would be to look at the way certain particles in this case, I think protons collide and to try and see if there's, extra amounts of energy or things are happening that would only be explained as if you had smashed it apart and was proof of some theory involving extra dimensions. So the idea is that basically there is some sort of effect. There's some sort of physical property you'd be able to observe by doing high-speed collisions. What's next? What's going to happen next? Let's just wild card theories here. Just tell me what you guys think. Just what are, what's, what could be the next thing that comes along, the next big thing, the next big phase shift? And we've had these things happen before from relativity, quantum physics. I, I actually know this one. What's that? I, I know this one because it sounds like what we're doing is we're taking items off the menu of science fiction and trying to guess which one of them will become science fact, just like these other items, right? Sure. I think it's definitely going to be artificial intelligence. I think we are ex seeing explosive growth, and I think... In 10 years, your pocket phone will talk to you. Like, you'll have a personality and a name for it, and you will, Star Trek style, say, you know, telephone. And he says, yes, sir. And you say, find me that Chinese Wait, restaurant. It has its own personality, but we still call it telephone? That's what I do, because I'm a big fan of irony, you know? Oh, okay. Yes. And, and, so, he, and he actually sounds like Alexander Graham Bell. He was like, yeah, hello, Watson, are you there? That's the way he always responds whenever I say <laughs> I, telephone. It's actually Alexander Graham Bell toward the end of his life. So you're like, telephone, hello? <laughs> I can't quite hear you. See, and that's what? how it covers up the fact that speech recognition is still not so great. He's just like, say again, Watson. <laughs> but I think that's going to be the most explosive growth in the next 10 years. Justin? Uh I actually, I want to build on something we talked about uh, just a, a few minutes earlier and say that it's going to be some sort of massive paradigm-shifting energy breakthrough. If this involves me having sex with the corpse of my wife, <laughs> I swear to God. I'm glad you brought it up, Ryan, so we didn't <laughs> have to mention it again. The antimatter, uh, bizarro mirror universe corpse of your brother. Exactly. <laughs> Who has uh, blue skin. I, don't, I, I think that, that we're... 
you know, that's the thing that we can't see coming that could pop up around the bend for 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 me in my in my worldview that all of a sudden just how we think of energy could be completely redefined and whether it be you know what what we've done uh what, what Craig Ventner's doing with like you know you know shifting what if we can turn algae into usable fuel and stuff just that whole entire everything i mean we've built empires based on how we can get you know how we can move things from point A to point B, and how much energy we have to expend. Yeah, and and just to and to clarify just a little bit, like what Craig Vintner's doing, because we brought him up before, and and we've got some emails from people who've talked about, oh yeah, you know, so and so is doing this too. He's doing what's called third generation biofuels. First generations basically just go take that sawgrass, that ethanol, whatever, turn it into fuel. Second generation is to take things that are high yield and breed them to try to breed the better strains to make them much, much more efficient at energy production. Third generation is to go in there, change the radically change the DNA, pull in DNA from other organisms, put them in there. So instead of having it consume three molecules of carbon dioxide, have it consume a thousand times that and produce a hundred times the output in hydrocarbons. But I think, I think that, is that's the thing that could change that you know within our lifetimes that makes our physical reality so much completely different between that kind of stuff or, or the antimatter stuff if you want to look you know even farther in the future you know that all of a sudden are the physical you know me going to hong kong is like me getting on a bus and going down the street which you is know, or in relative terms already where we are compared to a hundred years ago yes yes but like, i think you know, we, we tend to forget that these kind of jumps, you know, come in, come in leaps, not, you know, tippy toe steps. And, and I think that we are, we, we could see, I, my guess is that we see one of those big major jumps before we all die. When there was a Robert A. Heinlein book, uh, Friday, that was one of the first Heinlein books that I ever read. And in it, ships were powered by what they called ship stones. And there was maybe a paragraph kind of throw, you know, cause it's, you got to progress the story at some point. So he just sort of did this hand waving, like, well, essentially <laughs> they figured out that when it comes to energy, the sky is practically raining soup. If you just know how to collect it. And that's what ship stones were. And I always thought that was a cop out, but I, but it also occurred to me that that's how it will be when we actually do have a revolutionary shift in, in energy, it'll be the kind of thing that we can't possibly even imagine at this time. And it'll be so revolutionary and so all encompassing that it might as well be these magic ship stones. Yeah. Where were yeah. you at professor Maine? I don't know how to articulate it, but my gut feeling, which is really not worth anything is I think that, as computational powers increased and our ability to deal with larger, more complicated systems has increased, we're getting, it used to be that to have a really complete physics theory, a guy could walk around and have it in his head or her head. You could, a really, really smart person who understood things like tensor equations, which I don't, could sit down on a blackboard, explain to you relativity. That's what made relativity so great, it was a simple little formula for really smart people to explain how a lot of different things would happen, what would happen, the energy potential X. And that's why there was just this explosion in physics when Einstein was able to figure out this, this formula to explain the difference in the relation between energy and matter. 
the universe is more complex than we like. We love simple answers. We love beauty. We love symmetry because we're primates. That doesn't mean that that's the way nature has to work. As we've seen, you look in biology, nature will sometimes take very, very complicated ways to do things because sometimes things are complex and cannot be reduced. As Einstein said, a thing should be as reduced as simple as possible, but no more. I think that some of the fundamental rules, some of the fundamental laws of the universe are so complex now, we're going to have to use these computational systems, as we are, to try and develop these big comprehensive theories. And, and that's a lot of mathematicians, a lot of people in physics are resistant to that because they like the idea of that beautiful theory you can hold in your head. And they want everything to be that keep way. keep it human scale. So I, the, uh, uh, what you made, what all, I always think of when we get to this issue is, is it possible for our brains to <clears> comprehend it? There's this great scene in the PBS uh, Nova presentation for Brian Greene's The Elegant Universe, where the scene cuts to he's giving a lecture and he's tapping out notes on a board, on a chalkboard, asking, you know, do you follow? You remember we talked about this or whatever? And then it cuts to his audience, which is his dog. And he says, mm -hmm. keep in mind, it could be that our brains just aren't wired to comprehend the universe. Like, obviously, this dog's brain is not wired to ever grasp what it takes. It's not the hardware does not permit the possibility of grasping the universe. And that's a terrifying thing that I had never well, considered. I don't want to believe but that. Gonna, but I, Brian, I'm going to go in a different direction here, though. In that we can take things like a very simple tool, like an abacus. You ever seen somebody work an abacus? Sure. And it allows you to do amazing computations. It doesn't really have memory other than the position where things are put in. It's an amplifier. An abacus is a wonderful amplifier of human intelligence. So we're getting to the point where computers can be that, where you can stop and look at one little part of it and go, okay, I get that. I don't have to understand the whole thing. I'm capable of understanding, you know, each one of us is capable of understanding any one part of a 747. None of us is capable of understanding how the whole thing works. Including the people who design it. Yeah, and that's what makes us different than the dog. The dog, you can't, you know, you can't even break that thing down into little chunks. The dog, uh, you know, would really understand, and that's where I would say the difference. So I think what we're going to get to the point is where our our theories are going to become like seven forty sevens. They're going to become these very, 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 and they are. They're becoming these very, very huge things that any one person who's smart enough could understand one part of it, but to understand all of it is hard. And that's okay. I'm okay with that but that's because it's still people trying to understand and still trying to solve human level questions. And I think when we start getting to that idea and we accept the idea, okay, this is going to have to be a very, very, very big formula. It's going to have to be bigger than one person can fit into their head. But at the end of it, we'll be able to put a question in here and get an answer out there. I think we're going to have a fundamental shift in physics. I, I think things that we may have thought, which were not possible under relativity or how we observe things, may change. And, and not amazing. in a way like, oh, light speed's possible or anything like that. It could be changed in just weirder ways. Are there any theories of physics. I know all of physics is too big for one person to wrap their mind around, but there are are there any specific aspects of theories of physics that are so complicated that no one person can even grasp the whole thing? Do we have any precedent for that? This is an amazing idea, a theory so complicated that it's like a 747. Well, I would say that, you know, things like in-brain theory and and you're getting into some of these things are just so complex that you know, some of these things like, you know, some of the, the far, you know, far out exile, you know, examples of, of string theory, when you start getting into 11 dimensional versus 21 dimensional, et cetera, 
these things start to get to that point. And I think that when we start like M theory, which is another aspect of that, these things keep getting bigger and bigger and they involve fourth dimensional, five dimensional models of, of matter that just, I can't wrap my head around. That's awesome. So I would say that, yeah, we're going to get to, I think that we're going to have to get to that point. We're going to have to say, okay, it's okay. Where my theory is going to be, a million lines of a million. And, and the problem is there is this resistance. People want to go back to Plato and these simple sort of solids and circles and whatever. And they want this very, very simple, elegant little thing, like a little, uh, you know, heliocentric or, you know, you know, geocentric universe. But we have to abandon that and have to say that, like you're saying, is that this scale of the universe is beyond the unassisted human brain. Right. And when so we do that, it's kind of like the you look at a video game and the entire system from the person who builds parts of the processor chip to the software to the character modeling and the animation to the storytelling or stuff. You play a video game, you get this virtual experience. Uh, there's no possible way any one person could know all of that, but there's no doubt that the video game works and that it functions mm -hmm. because we all buy our copies, we put it in our computers, and we play it. And yeah. Likewise, to have a and, theory and, that does that, like clearly it predicts things accurately for what's going to happen in situations A, B, and C. Yeah, and I, I think a a capable programmer, a, you know, somebody who's a, a polymath, is capable of understanding any one element of that, but not the whole thing, and that's fine. It's it's that's when cool. you can't even understand the elements, which you know that gets to be the next step. That's when it gets really scary. In the future. This will be our national anthem. Also, in the future, dudes and bros will form a hybrid creature, which will advance level by level until they are finally at the level of our listener spot buyer, Dude Bro 9000. 9000 levels of hybrid Dude Bro has finally brought us to this creature who's traveled back in time and supported the podcast. Thanks to you, Dude Bro 9000, we finally know not to give up on science, culture, religion, government, society. He has a Twitter, East Meets NW, or you can follow his blog, eastmeetsnorthwest.livenetnation.com. Dude Bro 9000, yeah! So, we had an interesting item that came up today. And it's about the new space race, Brian. New space race? You hear about this? I was not invited. Oh, yeah. I haven't even got my new track shoes yet. Well, I, I, I forward you a press release. This was really cool. SpaceX, you can get on their mailing list, and you can get the cool updates on what they're up to. And they tested a few months ago the capsule, a space capsule that would be capable of returning astronauts from the International Space Station. Awesome. So they did a they did a drop test a few months ago. They pushed this thing outside, and this is a private company. They built everything ground up. They didn't use just discarded hardware. They designed this stuff themselves. They've just got. I think they're getting. I think a popular mechanist or popular science award for their achievements. Well, now that we've got this idea that full on private space travel is on, the next big thing is a private space station. Absolutely. Absolutely. I dreamed the only this problem is who's going to own the Winnebago and who's going to be the first one to drive it off the lot. We're selling timeshares here at the weird things podcast. Well, no, there's seriously, the race is on now between uh, uh, us, the USA private companies based out of the United States and 
private companies based out of Russia. You know the what? Space I, Race is back, baby. Space Race 2, Electric Boogaloo. Do you know what I would love to see is an inflation-adjusted dollar assessment for how much more efficient the SpaceX program is for, we'll say, the Apollo program. Like, I... I infinitely? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's just it, right? Because it's like, we spent a ridiculous amount of resources. I'd like to see that represented graphically so we can appreciate just how big a difference 40, 50 years of smart... Newtonian physics could fix Did things. Did you hear how over budget the James Webb Space Telescope project was? No. How how over budget so, was it? <laughs> okay. Uh, the it is. I'm going to pull this up to give you the figure. And James Webb Telescope. Wait a minute. You're not going to tell a telescope joke. Whatever makes it up into space. Okay. The project. The latest update was. It's already gone over budget by like three billion dollars. All right. That's one half so of the TSA's that, budget annually. What's that? I said that's one half of the TSA's budget annually. Yeah. So it's 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 gone up and it's hard because in defense of NASA, in defense of what happens there, is that you get a project and then what'll happen is, you know, Congress will say it's like film or TV, whatever. They're like, okay, well, we, we, you know, go ahead on this part and like, well, okay, what's well, going to take us six months longer to give you this funding. So that money you needed before to pay for this thing is now going to go here. And then as these things change, they always sort of, they always ask for these things based upon best case scenarios. And these things end up, you know, going never, never along those lines. Meanwhile, SpaceX, which you pointed out, they've launched, they've, they're launching rockets into space. Next year, they plan on being capable of putting humans into orbit, rendezvousing at the space station. You look at the total amount invested into that, and I, I don't know what the figure is, but what the uh, SpaceX total budget is, but I guarantee you it is probably less than the average cost overrun on one of those missions. Wow. Wow. Go SpaceX. How long until yeah. we could buy a ticket? Well, uh, well for, first they got to get stuff. I mean, they've already done a successful launch into orbit. Now it's just a question of can they do the launch to a space station, which is what they're See, they're this doing. is the heartbreak. It's always you hear the news and you just think, next Thursday I'm going to the moon. And you're like, ah, we haven't even built a space elevator yet. Come on. Well, you know, there's, there's I, I, I guess it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, the more... You know, the, the more we get used to taking these steps, the faster we go with it, right? And then these are really big steps to take. Absolutely. I'm looking at some of the funding here for SpaceX, and they did, you know, they're doing like 15 million rounds here and 60 million rounds there. But I, I think SpaceX is probably just still, their total funding is probably in still the low couple hundred million. That is, that's I mean, got to be like, we, we got to be talking a single digit percentage of what the government spent during at the height of the Cold War. For sure, for sure. I mean, part and of that is also components and stuff, though, right? And knowledge of having done it. Oh, sure. I mean, that makes a very big difference. But still, it's like, that's phenomenal to see what an amazing oh, sure. return yeah. on investment. Like, in hard dollars, what our increased knowledge has done as far as making possible the impossible. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah, and, and part of those, it's, as we all know, the way government works and government, you know, government agency has a funding and then every year it's going to justify why it needs more funding. And you get very, very smart people working on projects that sometimes go nowhere. So 
SpaceX was started by Elon Musk with $100 million of his own money in 2006. It got another $20 million, and then it did a, I think it had another round. So, like, I think its total funding has been $200 million so far. And now they're getting billion-dollar contracts with NASA because – and that's – think of it. For $200 million, what they were able to build, they built their entire – built a whole new space program. I'm going to I'm gonna throw a wild idea at you here. This is, I assume, the right venue for wild ideas. Go ahead. Yeah. How long before BP or Exxon decides to say, hey, we want to buy a space mission because we want to launch – some probes into some asteroids to see what they have on them. Dude, the sooner the better because that's where the money's at. Did you not see Moon? It was all about the what? The helium 3? Yeah. That's where the money's at. I'm going to be forget the Benjamins, I'm going to be taking fistfuls of helium 3 and throwing them in your face <laughs> in the future. Show enough, show enough. Making a rain with helium 3. <laughs> that's right. Helium 3 so rated all up in this bitch. <laughs> so we say within the next five years, I, that's my prediction. Sir, next I, five years, I will go so far as to say is the deals have people are already feeling each other out. Like at industry parties right now, someone from Exxon or someone from BP has talked to someone at SpaceX saying, well, hey, well, how long, uh, you know, give me some ballparks as far as five years from now. Can we buy some probes to send in some to some asteroids or this part of the moon or whatever? I guarantee Somebody's you those. Doing conversations that. Why can't are. we do that? Mean, like, they will not know some guy who knows a guy. They will like, not hey, let us into that party. We'll be like the guys from Always Sunny in Philadelphia, showing up, <laughs> trying to fake talk our science. We're in a bunch of Texas hall, man. <laughs> <laughs> we need to ask you how long those probes are going up into your spacey space, and we can bring back us some helium three, huh, there, Chachi? How about you let me uh, let me know some things? So we here. show up with a six pack that we've taken, like labels that say "smart juice" that we've wrapped around, and we think that's going <laughs> to fool them. We're like, we're just a few local scientists looking to do a scientific <laughs> expedition. We show for up. We're, we show, we're wearing lab coats in the middle of the day at right. a TGI Fridays to meet with these people. That's right. I'm holding a beaker with something smoking out of it. At all oh, times. Sorry, I need to finish this uh, experiment here. As you drink <laughs> it. It still says, like, uh, you know, All Valley Pet care on the back of our lab coats <laughs> exactly <laughs> smell like cat pee we were wondering we had some balloons that needed inflating and we understand there's three times the helium in space can you send us right, there brian I'm, I'm gonna give you a, an even crazier thought okay <laughs> sir that is clearly a bottle of four loco with two mentos put inside of it <laughs> i have a i have a i have a my prediction five years within five years we'll hear about an official deal from somebody like that bp exxon whatever to buy payload to buy a little space probe mission to go find out what's out there okay but this is this is this is this is my this is andrew predicting the next couple hundred years of where space travel and space exploration is going to go part of the reason we want to go into space is we want a couple things we want resources and if we want to colonize we want land with sunlight that you could grow stuff in a nice atmosphere right all right so if you have those things, resources, and we'll say arable land, okay, those are two things we want. And we keep thinking, oh, we either got to terraform Mars or we got to go to some other solar system. I'll throw an idea at you here. All right? Go on. When we start doing things out in space on a bigger scale, start building, let's say, 
large, huge solar mirrors where you take big pieces of mylar that are thousands of miles across and you direct that sunlight. You've got an intense amount of energy. You can do a lot of cool stuff with. Right. Right. Yeah, you got uh, a solar forge. Right. In the uh, in the 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 was it the red Mars, green Mars, blue Mars series, they they used that for two purposes. One was good, which was the Soleta, which was an array of mirrors that that essentially doubled the amount of sunlight landing on Mars. And the other was a weapon, where essentially mm-hmm. they used directed mirrors, and it was like a giant magnifying glass, freaking gouging out giant canals on on Mars. Which, which I, uh, I think that's what the whole purpose of the space navy is going to be is to make sure that these things aren't used for bad purposes. Well, you have this large space mirror. Think of what you could do here. You've got a ton of asteroids. Yeah. Let's say you start carving out asteroids, or melting them, or spinning them, and turning them into cylinders. Yeah, like putting our names on it. Even better, Brian. Our names on the inside. You take uh, in our asteroid belt. You've got some. You've got some very, very large objects there that are like a couple hundred kilometers across. 20 kilometers across, whatever. You take some of these things, you've got enough raw materials to make a space station that's 100 miles long by 20 miles across that's got the surface area of Great Britain inside of it. Do you know what I and even bet you could do? Is I bet if you had this kind of targeted thing, like you could blast the edge of different asteroids that would cause an expl- you know an explosion of gas or cuz there's usually ice or something on them mm-hmm. that would direct it would actually propel all of these asteroids towards each other. You could take all these asteroids and essentially shoot lasers at all the bits to cause them to all conglomerate into a giant area that you make into a giant floating space land. Yeah, it's still going to be smaller than the moon. Yeah, oh, you want to use the moon? Well, no, I'm saying it's that the, all if you took all the asteroids together in the asteroid belt, it's still going to be less than the, well, the total it's volume. It's bigger than than Justin's apartment. That's for damn sure. That's <laughs> but, but Brian, Brian, imagine if you had a cylinder that was a hundred hundred miles long, by you know, had a diameter of 20, 20 miles across. Oh wait a minute, I see where this and is headed. And you spun it. Yes. Okay. You rotate it, to, so you get basically Earth gravity on the inside of it. Now, most of these, a lot of these rocks out there have water on them, so you can put that thing. You can put water in there. You can put air inside of there. You seal it off. You use another space mirror to help it keep spinning, to help it keep it warm, to pump some light into it. You're saying making you a giant space arc out of asteroids? Well, or even just leave them in orbit. No way, where dude. They are. If it doesn't matter where they are, might as well send us halfway across the stars. Send us over to. Maybe you do that. Maybe you do that with some of them. Maybe you do that with some of them. Okay, I did some math, figuring out volume of the, the of the asteroid belt, volume of the Kuiper belt, volume of the Oort cloud, and tried to figure out if we just took all these bits of rocks and we wanted to make these big long cylinders that you could put inside. You could have a whole, again. You could take one of these bigger asteroids and you could create enough land. You could create a continent of landmass inside of there. That's awesome. Okay, you could have a that's a world. That's basically another planet. It's it's not round like planets we think about. It's a cylinder that spins around and it's terraformed. Do you know how many Earths worth of land there would be if you just took not any of the moons, but just all of the free asteroids and other objects in the solar system are, and converted them this way? Do you know how much land you would have? How many Earths worth of land? Are we playing prices right rules or closest rules? Uh closest. Well, Price is Right rules is as close without going over. Yeah, yeah, we're just playing closest. All right, uh, I'm going to say 30 
9,000. Justin? I already told Justin the answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, Justin's going to be a jerk and say 39,001. So I'm screwed. Yeah. Uh, basically, if you had, if the, if the surface of it, if it was a half a mile thick, a half mile thick between the inner, inner edge of the cylinder and the outer edge of the cylinder, a half mile thick of this material, which is pretty thick, I think. And these things on average were, let's say, uh, 100 kilometers long by like 20 or 30 kilometers across or longer. Yeah. A million Earths worth of area. All right. So Justin beat me, but only by one Earth. <laughs> That's right. A million. So you could have, there is a million, if you take all the area, all of the total surface area. So you're saying, you're saying that Earth, we can there's live. There's a million times that without with building these cylinders. So you're saying we can live out all of our science fiction fantasies right here without ever leaving our solar system. Why do we need yep. to now? We got we got all the materials here. We got the glitter. We got the construction paper. Let's rock and roll. <laughs> we got the Elmer's glue. But oh, baby, come we on. We got to get off this Petri dish. And it's so funny because, like, the moment I think we got to get off this Petri dish of Earth because, you know, at some point Earth is going to, something will happen, you know, a rock will hit it or something. Then I'm like, okay, we're in a much larger Petri dish, but now we got to get away from this sun because it's going to explode at some point. Well, it yeah, at some point. <laughs> we got a little bit of time there. But certainly having these cylinders or having these sort of self-contained worlds makes things so much more it's a it's a strange thought because we've always sort of had this idea that maybe we terraform mars but then we really just gotta get out there way way beyond but now we have this sort of uh the, the realization that if you just take the available matter we have and this isn't some huge ring rolled or dyson sphere or anything like that this is sort of extrapolating the way we build things now and using technologies we understand which 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, we're going to have technology we didn't think about now. And the energy comes from building these large solar mirrors, and we know how to do this. this. This is a arguably really a space elevator level project. Yes. Yes. You know, and maybe even not even that. Maybe not even that. I mean, the physics of this is we were already building space stations, and this is building bigger and bigger. We're already building space stations and giving them artificial gravity by spinning them you know, when we did some of the Apollo tests and some of those tests, we can do that. We've done that. Now what we're going to do is just expand on that by using, we haven't built anything from stuff we found in space, but we start building things out of things we find in space and we start using energy we get in space. What's the crazy quote? exponential growth happens. What's the quote that once you're out of orbit, you're halfway to anywhere. Yeah. Like that would make that would make this project not only possible but almost trivial. If you just had, if it was a case of tapping in a few lines of code, I mean, the the big work would be the planning of it. If you could type in a few lines of code and a million mirrors can shift slightly and just cause giant rocks to move to form these things. I mean, this is I totally believe this. I'm totally down with it. Yeah, and so you think about this where it starts off where first we go to the asteroid belt because Mars and Jupiter and there's a lot of stuff there. Then you start extending outwards, and you've got the Kuiper belt, and you've got a bunch of objects out there. The then you extend even further out to the Oort cloud, okay, which is billions of pieces of rock and comets, and you have all this material out there, and you just keep extending. That's what we, I mentioned this before on this podcast. We think of the solar system. We just think of that classic, here's the sun, here's the earth, here are the planets, but it's just there is just billions 
of objects out there that you could use and you could expand on. When you start getting to the outer edges of the Oracle Cloud, you're already a light year away. What? The Oracle Cloud extends a light year out from the solar from the sun? That's the hypothetical outer layer. All right. All right, I got a question for you guys. It's a which, quarter of the distance to the next star. Which will happen first? And don't look it up. Which will happen first? And we'll take bets. And in a few years, we'll collect. Which is going to happen first? Our sun, I'll say, you know, air quotes, explodes. Essentially, you know, does the, the red giant thing. The part where it destroys Earth. Or we run into uh, the Milky Way collides with Andromeda. I'm going to go oh, not. Uh... Um, you're not looking it up, are you? Because remember, I said no, you weren't allowed to do that. No, I got my hand that. over my eyes. I'm actually trying to think about this. Oh, this is good. Uh, I think we've got. I think we're like the middle of the sun. Six. It's six billion. I'm just gonna say sun explodes first. Justin, I I'm going the other way. You'll say I got faith. In, I got faith in the old boy. <laughs> Uh, just a, a, a couple of poking around on the interwebs. Andromeda, according to the Wikipedia article, is planned to run into the solar system in about 4.5 billion years. And it's up for discussion how long the sun's going to last. But the estimates are about 5 billion years. Oh, wow. Justin so, gets it. But I tell you what, man. Think about think about those few centuries before the sun explodes, and you just look out, and all of Andromeda's all up in your face with double the stars. That's some sci-fi skylines. That's what Carl Sagan was talking about in that auto-tuned song when he says, "A still more glorious dawn awaits." He's talking yes. about when Andromeda is about to run not, into the Milky a, Way. Not a sunrise, but a galaxy rise. That's right, with something hundred million stars. All of a sudden, I would just want to hear that song now. There goes the neighborhood. Uh, boom. What if they're jerks? <laughs> Those freaking Andromedans. And we have a name of the podcast. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been an episode of Weird Things, and it certainly has been weird. listener shout outs or maybe sponsor the podcast email weirdthingsmail at gmail.com the same address where you can make a suggestion or write your own scenario weirdthingsmail at gmail.com